When are you an American Express member? When you travel with the American Express Platinum Card and have access to Centurion lounges at over 40 locations worldwide, you're a member. When your American Express Platinum Card gets you seated at exclusive tables at renowned restaurants through Global Dining Access by Resi, you're a member. When you arrive at live events through dedicated American Express Card member entrances at select venues, yeah, you're a member. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. When you buy a new house, you might say, Shut the front door. Winning. No, seriously, shut the front door. We own this house now. But you actually need to say, Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. That's right. The local State Farm agent is there to help you choose the coverage you need. Welcome to my crib. <laughs> no one says that anymore, but I don't care. So just remember, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois. Billy Eilish and Phineas O'Connell, they're with us today on Crew Call. I'm your host, Anthony D'Alessandro. Billy's vocals. It was automatic art. You know, I had to like choose a more challenging route than just like da 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 da. You know what I'm saying? Like it could have been like easier. And a lot of people have asked me like, how did you choose to have it be so soft and like so simple? And what else was it going to like? That's what the song wanted. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Crew Call podcast on Deadline. Hello, everyone. I'm Wilmer Valderrama. And I'm Mr. Raquel. This is Essential Voices. So last week, we had a really enlightening conversation with our essential voice, Anthony Almojera an EMS first responder from New York City. It is sobering to think that the COVID-related calls he was responding to on the front lines started almost exactly two years ago. Wow, yeah, that's right. It was almost exactly two years ago. And it's bananas to think that so many of the orders and COVID restrictions originally intended for two weeks lasted for two years. In a recent episode, we spoke about the various kinds of grief and delayed grief simply living through this pandemic that that stirred up for folks. And in our conversation with Maria Menounos and Rev Jen Bailey. And last week, we heard firsthand from Anthony that this grief has been exponential for EMS responders. My heart continues to go out to them since this fight is definitely not over. On that note, we wanted to keep the conversation going and hear from an expert on the pandemic's toll on EMS first responders. We'll speak with grief expert and psychotherapist and host of the podcast year after, Megan Devine, to hear her reaction to Anthony's story and ideas of how we can take care of our community members who have to witness the toll of COVID-19 firsthand. And a note to listeners, this episode deals with mentions of suicide. So keep that in mind in deciding where and when to listen. First and foremost, I just want to say thank you, Megan, for being here. This is one particularly one of my most memorable and life-changing conversations. You know, you think about these essential workers as not just a life-saving guardian angel who shows up at a time where you need them immediately, you know. It's, it's tough because that conversation touched me at, at such a level. It made me at, at oftentimes happy to know that there were human beings that existed like them. And then at the same time, it made me angry about the misunderstanding of what their, not just contribution, but the toll it takes for them to do what they have signed up to do. You think about these incredible individuals and these, I call them guardian angels because they've shown up for us and personally have shown up for my father. Uh, My father has suffered two minor heart attacks and it's because of them I still have him. 
And I come full circle to this conversation about how no human being is equipped to withheld or endure so much trauma without the help of comprehension and, and understanding and uh, most importantly, an infrastructure, you know, an environment in which understands what it takes and therefore provides the support and safe places for them to continue to prevail and process their trauma. So when I come full circle of the conversation, you know, I'm, and I, I'm happy you're here. I would love to get your first initial reactions from the conversation. What, what were your reactions to Anthony's story? I love that guy. I love how clear and unafraid to tell the truth he is in, in his storytelling. I think a lot of people, when you put a microphone in front of them and you ask them to tell a story, they clean it up a lot. And we don't need clean stories. We need real stories. Right. Before you heard this, his story and his story really touched you, you, didn't, you weren't aware about you know, EMS and, and what they do. And it's like, you, you don't know what you don't know until you know it. And then you can't unknow it once you know. That's a lot of no's to keep track of here. But it, it really is that, that these invisible networks, these invisible webs of helpers and service providers, you don't think about them until you need them. And then if you listen to their stories, if you really pay attention and you start wondering, how many calls like this do they do every day? How do they carry this job with them? One of the things that as I was listening to his story, if somebody was watching my face, they would think like, why is she laughing right there? That wasn't a funny thing. He said, when I got into this work, I thought that I had limitless compassion. And that was what made me laugh because of the work that I do I've long thought that my capacity for witnessing other people's pain was limitless. And it, it didn't take more than a couple of years of the relentless nature of the work to discover that it is vast, but it is not limitless. So to hear him say that he reached the edge of that container for himself and now he knows like sort of what he can operate inside of, I think that is kind of incredible insight and wisdom to share with those people who see way more, like way more than the average person, right? Bringing this back to what you said, like I had no idea until I heard the story and they're not just going to arrive on your doorstep, even though they intersect with our intimate personal lives all the time. Mm -hmm. I mean, even in this clip we just shared with you, Anthony shared some staggering statistics regarding the loss of life he's bared witness to. He said he lost in one day 13 folks to cardiac arrest and that suicide is very high in numbers among his coworkers and that even he himself had dealt with some, as he said, suicidal ideations. So given what Anthony shared and all the losses that he's witnessed across the board while on the job and given your expertise within grief work, can you speak to the impact of this grief at such a large scale? Yeah. So even before the pandemic, those stats are true. Not the 13 people in one day, as he said, that was orders of magnitude larger than typical. But those rates of suicidality, also substance use in the medical profession as a whole, are much higher than the non-medical professions. And then there's different statistics for each type of work. But if you think of what our emergency response workers have to see regularly, they see way more suffering than a lot of other people in the medical industry. Mm. And seeing that over and over and over again, that really messes with your worldview, right? It's hard to see the world as a safe and friendly place when you see how unsafe the world can be every time you show up for work, right? And we blanketly dismiss somebody's pain because that's easier than letting in the full reality of how hard it is to do this work and to show up and to survive, right? You signed up for it, air quotes that nobody can see except for, you know, us here. You signed up for it is basically saying, shut up, right? It's saying, I don't want to hear this. Don't tell me this. How dare you? 
I think what happens not consciously is we don't know how to deal with an expression of pain like that. So we try to make that expression of pain go away so we don't feel helpless. And the other thing is, and I'm reasonably sure this one isn't conscious at all, but it's like if we start to accept the reality that the people we call upon in times of emergency are human and failable, maybe leaning on them in emergency is not so safe. And then the world feels less safe for us, right? I really don't think that that's a conscious train of thought. But knowing how humans work and that we need to believe in certain things like hearing your emergency support people faltering or seeing them express the truth of their reality as faltering, that starts to impact your understanding of how safe you would be if you needed help. I think that's so true. And not to get too off topic, but I recently got a new therapist and I've been really, really enjoying working with them. But something that I think about all the time is how one-sided that relationship is. But for the exact reason that you're calling upon right now, which is that if we as the patients were more dialed into the lives of those we call upon for help, this one-sided relationship that's established for a reason begins to crumble. On the one hand, of course, sometimes I'm curious about my therapist's life outside of our sessions, but that's really besides the point. And the point is that I'm there to work on myself and the therapist is there to provide counsel. However, at the same time, these mental health professionals and first responders like Anthony are human, just like us. Just because they're here for us in moments of crisis and in celebratory moments doesn't mean they aren't holding the same things that we're holding within us at any given time. But you're right that there is sort of a disconnect in our processing or our wanting to acknowledge that these are human beings with real feelings who are dealing with their own traumas and their own joys because in a way, perhaps acknowledging this takes away from the very particular way that these folks are interacting with us. So I'm really glad that you brought that up. Yeah, and I, I love what you said there. And this touches into something really important here. Like the people we go to for help, whether medical, emotional, relational, financial, the people we go to for help, we don't want it to be a two-way street. One of the reasons we go to professionals for help is one, we're borrowing their expertise, but also because there's no personal ramification for that. When you go to a therapist, you can talk about things, you leave them there. If you want to have that same kind of conversation with your partner or your friend, then it's there in the room with you. And it's something we have to talk about again. And, and you worry about if I talk to my best friend about this, then how is that going to affect them? You don't want to worry about that with your therapist or your financial advisor or your EMS responder. But one of the things that we hear I've certainly heard it before the pandemic, but so much more now is reach out, get help, make sure you talk to somebody, right? Well, everybody that we would reach out to for support has also been living through this pandemic. They've also had to turn on a dime and adjust to this way of living. They've also lost multiple family members. They've also had to deal with a disruption in the home life. If we just keep saying, make sure you get help, but we don't say, how do we help the helpers? I mean, we're putting extra stress, pressure, demand on a system that pre-pandemic was already showing signs of stress and breakdown and systemic failures. This calls back something that you noted earlier that you appreciated from Anthony's story, which was him describing maybe his loss of limitless empathy and bringing it to you and what you said earlier, to use your words, you said you used to feel that you had a limitless amount of compassion but what happens when we're dipping into these reserves of that empathy and that compassion? And what about the loss of these reserves that Anthony is describing for himself? 
Would you say that that's a common response for first responders? I mean, you're describing this mass exodus right now. So how do you see that playing out? It's mm, a really good question. I don't know how it plays out. I know that telling the truth about all of it is, for me, the most stable way forward, right? We can't continue to pretend that everything is fine when everything is not fine. We have to start talking about the reality of this kind of service work. How do we actually show up for the people that we expect to take care of the world? Do we show up for them or do we just give them the lip service? I love that he said, you know, they're going to have a parade for us and that sort of let them eat cake, dismissive from up on high. You know, these folks, they don't need us to lean outside at seven o'clock and clap. They need us to talk about the ways that we show up for each other, the ways that we expect people to be like that terrible book, The Giving Tree. You just give and give and give and give and give and give and give until you die. And then we celebrate you as a martyr. Like these systems, they don't work. We'll be right back after this break. When are you an American Express member? When you travel with the American Express Platinum Card and have access to Centurion lounges at over 40 locations worldwide, you're a member. When your American Express Platinum Card gets you seated at exclusive tables at renowned restaurants through Global Dining Access by Resi, you're a member. When you arrive at live events through dedicated American Express card member entrances at select venues, yeah, you're a member. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. When you buy a new house, you might say, Shut the front door. Winning. No, seriously, shut the front door. We own this house now. But you actually need to say, Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. That's right. The local State Farm agent is there to help you choose the coverage you need. Welcome to my crib. <laughs> no one says that anymore, but I don't care. So just remember, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois. Hi, I'm Antonia Blythe, and this is 20 Questions on Deadline. Joining me today is Alison Bree. Welcome, Alison. We got second place in my seventh grade lip sync contest for one of the songs on that album. The one that was like, you've already won me over. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. It's a very all slow. The, all the options. In spite of me. Like, what did we do? It's so slow. <laughs> Don't forget to listen to 20 Questions on the Deadline. Thank you again, Alison. Thank you. Welcome back to Essential Voices. I, I really think we can create an environment and a destination in which they not only feel heard, understood, but have the resources to cope and process. Now, we have to dissect that statement and we have to understand what are the ingredients of that solution. So I think about that and I think about, you know, my next question, which is how can we protect our first responders from the types of burnout that Anthony describes? I believe that that puts a dent on the comprehension. I also believe that if they were to multiply and had more than 40 plus 100 individuals answering New York City's call, you will probably have enough time for them to have not only family time, which reminds them of why they get up in the morning, time for themselves so they can, you know, get it done, and also real pay. You know, that that actually gives them less stress. I mean, in some of these conversations, which you didn't really hear in this, uh, Anthony described that some of these paramedics, some of these EMS workers have to work two, three jobs in New York. So they get up at three in the morning, they clock in, they're out all morning. And then as soon as they clock out, they go and work at a restaurant. Mm -hmm. I mean, like, why? Yeah, these are big endemic systems that are twacked. Right. Because you start talking about we underpay our EMS workers, we underpay service workers of all kinds. 
And that also intersects with race, gender, class, socioeconomic status, and how well-funded the public education system is. Like, you can't pull one thread on this without the whole thing lighting up. (laughs) And I think this is what gets overwhelming, right, when we start looking for solutions, because the solutions are not clear and straightforward. They are not easily actionable. These problems involve so much true community. Mm -hmm. It's so easy to see how overwhelming, how complex, how complicated, how under-resourced all of these issues are. Whether you are somebody who works in one of these fields or you're somebody who is like a compassionate witness from the outside, it's easy to just collapse at the weight of the catastrophe. And that just makes us kind of shut down and retreat into a corner because the, the problems are so vast community is the answer to all of those things. Mm -hmm. A real community, a community that we build with intimate knowledge, allowing people to tell the truth of their own experience. I love the community movements that have come out of the pandemic and also out of other Mm -hmm. social imbalances that that come to light before the pandemic and alongside the pandemic. But community really is the way forward. And we are wired for that. The story that he told about like, I, I felt like my, my compassion and my empathy was limitless. Like we are designed to feel with each other. And if we can allow those intense emotions to just be there without trying to rush through them, fix them, make them pretty, then we have a real opportunity to talk about how can I come up alongside you and support you mm-hmm. through what you're living. So we go to somebody like the EMS worker in our community, in our circle, and we say, what can I do that will come up alongside you and make the impossibly hard work you have to do a tiny bit easier to bear? It's not about how can we make you more resilient. It's not about how can we like give you a gift basket so you feel better about your job. This really is a grassroots community response to how can I love you best in this moment to let you show up the ways that you want to show up for yourself, for your others, for community, and for me when I need to call emergency services. Mm. When I think about the way I was taught, specifically culturally, as a Latin man, there was great things that were taught to me about how you handle grief and how you handle loss. And there was also things that were counterproductive, you know, bury those feelings, you know, turn the music a little louder. But I also realized that turning the music a little louder was also a reminder of why we were alive. I also love for you to dive a little bit on your podcast and and tell us a little bit about how to discover the voice that you have so fearlessly been able to provide. I'm going to give a really abbreviated version because I want to give some airspace in my brain and out my mouth about the podcast because it's it's a it's a really beautiful thing. But I I think this is a good a good lead in for that. So I've been a psychotherapist for a very long time. I was in private practice and saw a lot of trauma and hardship. In fact, a lot of the clients that I worked with when I was in private practice were physicians and other therapists who were seeing a lot of pain and suffering and felt like they didn't have anywhere to go with it. So I worked, did a lot of addiction work and trauma work and mm-hmm. and that sort of stuff. And I actually wanted to take a break from that profession because it's easy to feel like a talking head sitting there in a chair, listening all the time. And so I talked about it with my partner and my partner was going to take over financial support of our family so that I could step away from my practice and take a break. I never got a chance to do that because a couple days after that conversation, Matt died in an accident. Mm. I was not a stranger to grief, not in myself and not in the world. The world that I was thrown into 
after his death was orders of magnitude different than anything else I'd understood. And I, I actually quit working with humans for a long time after that. I closed my practice and I went and volunteered on dairy farms because I could not stand being around humans. I just, I needed to take care of something that didn't need anything from me other than clean water and fresh straws. But that experience, it's like turning on a black light. Right. Like we, you know, when we started this conversation, we were talking about these stories that you don't know what you know until you experience it or hear it, right? And as I said, I wasn't a stranger to grief, but this was this was very, very different than the things that I was used to. And it really showed me how unskilled we are in talking about grief in this culture. So we have this idea that grief is this problem to be solved. You have to get over it really quickly. And everything we say when we think we're being supportive serves that mission of cheer yourself up, get over it, bounce back, be happy, be positive, as though happiness is the same as health. And anything that is not happy is kind of showing you that you're doing it wrong. When I'm talking about grief, I'm not talking about just grief related to death. I'm talking about sure. the reality of being human. We have to talk about the way that we talk about pain. Because the ways that we habitually speak about hard times are causing the breakdowns that we see around us. You don't need drugs, alcohol, other addictive behaviors if you have a community that understands how to come to any kind of pain with skill and grace, right? But we don't. Like, we talk people out of it. We tell them to look mm -hmm. on the bright side, man up, right? All of these things. So our ways of habitually, historically dealing with hardship of any kind have created this world that we live in. Mm -hmm. And so for me, the work is like, let's start having conversations about the way we have conversations. So the podcast is called Hereafter. The growth edge for me is in talking to our professionals, talking to our systems about how are we supposed to be here for them after when the systems that we inherited, the ways that we learned how to help are also broken. Like the tools that we have inherited cannot meet this moment we're in. So how are we going to talk about that? And then we've also got what we started out our conversation here today talking about all of our helpers, all of the people we look to for help are also going through this mm -hmm. entire catastrophe. If we can't show up and talk as professionals about how hard this work is, how hard this life is, then is it just therapists all the way down? Like, make sure you go talk to somebody. And then that person needs to make sure that they go talk to somebody. And like, we have to talk about this. Mm. How hard it is to be here. How hard it is to be human. How hard it is to feel like we are helpless in the face of the pain of the world. I mean, you asked me, why did I choose a podcast? Well, because I'm exceptionally wordy and I have a lot of things to say <laughs> <laughs> and you want to stick a microphone in front of me and I will say them yeah. and I get to talk to other people who are also wondering these same things how do we take this brokenness and support it breaking because it does need to dissolve and we do need to build new things and we do need to apply skill to this because we don't just have that black and white thing of like everything is great or everything is terrible. Well, yes, everything is terrible. And we want to hear that so that we can accurately prescribe the world that we want to build. Mm -hmm. So those conversations are super important to me. We'll be right back after this break. When are you an American Express member? When you travel with the American Express Platinum Card and have access to Centurion lounges at over 40 locations worldwide, you're a member. When your American Express Platinum Card gets you seated at exclusive tables at renowned restaurants through Global Dining Access by Resi, you're a member. When you arrive at live events through dedicated American Express card member entrances at select venues, yeah, you're a member. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. When something happens to your car... 
you might say, No! My car! But what you really need to say is something that can actually help. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. And just like that, State Farm is there to help you file your claim right on the State Farm mobile app. So, just remember, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois. Hey, this is John Ridley. And this is Matt Carey, documentary editor at Deadline. And welcome to Talk Talk. John, we've got a hard-hitting episode today. A lot of controversy. Well, maybe we should put the word controversy in quotes in the documentary field about the nominees for Best Documentary Feature. We're going to get into that with some amazing panelists. You get a shot, but the individuals behind every one of those images, they're complicated and they are human. This has been Doc Talk. Thank you. Great conversation. Welcome back to Essential Voices. I want to take a second to acknowledge that, like Anthony, you are also providing a service to your community as a psychotherapist. You share that with him in common. So I'd like to ask you personally, what's your light at the end of the tunnel and how do you find motivation to continue forward in this work? Ooh, depends on the day. You know, when we when we first heard his story and I said, I, I you know, I laughed a little bit when I heard him say that he, he felt like his well of compassion was limitless and learned that it was not. I have had to do a lot of delegating because of the work that I do. I mean, hundreds of thousands of stories, right? And people usually show up at my social media doorstep when something really, really horrific has happened in their lives. I do have a really big capacity for witnessing the pain of the world, but it is not limitless. I was telling one of my teammates the other day that, you know, they asked me why I wasn't more involved in a certain project that a refugee and grief runs. And I was like, you know, that program put me in the hospital twice. Mm. Showing up for that kind of pain over and over and over and trying to see everyone and touch everyone and help everybody feel heard. You can't help but be affected by that. And for me, like the way that I can continue to show up and serve is to very often step away from the personal story. I remember a couple of years ago, I had an amazing massage therapist. Massage was one of the things that I did to to help myself continue to show up. And I remember being there on the table and her drilling into a knot and me just crying. I have too many dead people in me. And you can hear that in what Anthony said too, right? That there are just 13 deaths in one shift. Right. There are too many dead people in me. So I think when you, are, when you are in this work, when you are doing this work, you have to know where your breaking point is and hopefully be in a position where you can not have to hit that breaking point over and over. Yeah. For me, it did mean stepping back from a lot of the daily high-touch stuff and training and supporting others to be able to do that work. I mean, here's the thing. This is also like why the bigger work that I do training clinicians and talking to people in hospitals about how we talk about pain I can't do this by myself. I can't hear the pain of the world by myself. I can't validate and honor and normalize all of this stuff for everybody. I need the community to learn the skills. I need all of us learning what it takes to show up for the heartbreak of the world without trying to fix it. Mm -hmm. Like for me, that is how I take care of myself is by teaching and speaking and ranting on things and educating and helping people Mm -hmm. really understand the skill and the kindness to self, the willingness to learn and to be awkward, right? All of those things, helping people learn how to trust their awkwardness so that they can show up and care for themselves and others in the ways that they really want to. They just don't know how yet, right? Mm -hmm. For me, that's how I take care of myself. 
because the more people know how to listen, know how to show up and support in really, truly helpful ways instead of dismissing or talking people out of their pain. I know it's not actually functionally true, but for me, it feels like the more people learn that and practice it, the more people I get to see in the world being awesome with each other, the less pressure I feel to show up and to touch and to witness more than I can hold. What we're talking about really drives home for me that across all industries, we need to implement mental health training so that even if it's just a short training, folks have some skills in their tool belts on how to support others around them and how to support themselves when these moments arise. I used to work for this traveling oral history organization, and over the year and a half or two years that I was with them, I think I recorded around 400 stories, and they were between two people. So that was like 800 people I talked to. And some of those stories were intense and vulnerable. And folks made themselves vulnerable to each other and to me, a stranger that they had just met. Mind you, I was just there listening, sometimes asking questions, guiding the session, and providing a safe space for these strangers to open up themselves to each other. But I was in no way offering counsel like a therapist does, even though sometimes the recordings did feel therapeutic in nature. And I did receive great on-the-job training from the organization, but nothing really prepares you for what folks bring with them to share on any given day. So during this time, I developed my own framework and approach to figure out what my role was in these scenarios with folks and their vulnerabilities and with my vulnerabilities as well. But on a systemic level, I hope that we're moving towards organizations providing these trainings for these moments. I feel like th these conversations are being had at a corporate level right now. I mean, specifically through the pandemic, everyone has been pretty sober to what the needs are. And a lot of unions are putting a lot of pressure and yeah. what are you doing to this? And, and yeah, I feel, unions. you know, I, I feel in my line of work, you know, we had to show up just like essential workers. People needed content to be at home. You know, people forget that entertainers and producers, we had to put ourselves in arms. We're surrounded by 300 people every single day that go home, that have hobbies, that have other things. Some believe in masks outside of the working place. Some believe in not. Some don't want to get vaccinated. Some, you know, it's a mixture of individuals that are making personal choices that eventually could put everyone else internally at arm's way. And we, we were the first ones to be back in production because we needed content. Mm-hmm. Because people were yeah, told to be has home. to feed that hunger. Right. right. To people who stay is home. Like it's having, it's turning on that black light, right? right? Like if you need to stay home and you need to consume content, who's going to create that content for you? And then who's going to support the people who need to drive to work to create your content? Okay. That means we need EMS. That means we need the people mm -hmm. who maintain the highways. That means we need toll takers. That means we need gas station attendants. So we're asking vast webs of people to be involved in yeah. serving us content. And that's not good, not bad, right? As a person who consumes content, but there is this awareness of the web that is attached to everything. Mm -hmm. I love ridiculous optimism, right? Foolish optimism is how things get done, right? What happens if we dream up this world? What happens if we dream up this? And I, I think because it's so ingrained in this culture that telling the truth about hard things is quote unquote negative, right? It's a failure of hope. It's a failure of right, optimism, right, like all of right. these things, like looking at the hard realities sometimes of being human, pain, loss, suffering, naming those things as dark emotions or negative emotions or things to overcome has created the world that we have right now where mm -hmm. there's so much suffering that goes on in silence and we have systems that are broken. For me, like grief isn't just about death. Grief is part of everyday life. This is also something that I think this experience of the pandemic has shown to so many people. There really hasn't been a time in very recent modern history where 
people from all races, classes, cultures, but where everybody lost something. All of those losses are grief. How do we deal with them? It's not about like listening to somebody's story so that you can cheer them up. It's about listening to them so that we can talk about what are the real systems and the real connection and the real community that makes the person sitting in front of us feel heard and supported. And that when whatever they're living through, surviving through is wound up woven with other systemic issues, how do we start rebuilding systems on a much kinder, more inclusive, loving foundation that helps to soften, mitigate, or erase these kinds of losses and pains and struggles in the future. So for me, telling the truth about grief, as difficult as it is, is a relentlessly optimistic, hopeful act. How are we going to build the world that we want if we don't know what hurts? How are we going to stitch together communities that can really listen to the pain of the world and respond to it with kindness and skill if we refuse to listen to those stories or we call them negative? We have an opportunity right now where there is a lot of focus on what's broken, which means a lot of people needing to take some action in the service of building a world that truly loves, Mm -hmm. cares, and supports for others. Megan, I'm so grateful to the time you have given us and also so grateful to this conversation. So many of the statements that were made here, I think are going to be taken to heart and some really difficult, but hopefully healing conversations are going to be had after this podcast. You know, I also want to bring it full circle to our boy, Anthony, because his vulnerability, his willingness to stay open and keep it straight up, just like a New Yorker would, was important for this episode. I want to pay tribute to every single one of you who are listening right now, who has either worn the uniform or has gone along in one of these ambulances and done your best to do what you could for the family you answered. So this episode is a tribute to you. I hope that we've done justice and most importantly brought up you know, conversations that maybe make you feel heard and make you feel seen And I know that we're part of a community that is desperately trying to figure out how can we be there for you and how can we talk to local governing and understanding that there is a conversation that has not been had. And to all of those who have experienced grief due to loss and specifically with this episode have been triggered into those emotions, know that we do it with all of our hearts open and with the most and humble understanding that we could and knowing that thoughtfully we have to show up for each other and have these difficult conversations and understanding how to heal from here as well as there and show up for one another. So Megan, thank you. One last question for you. How can the community support the work that you are doing currently? So many ways. Okay, so first, listen to the podcast. It's called Here After with Megan Devine. You can find it wherever you get podcasts. New episodes out every Monday. You can submit your questions for the show and find out about trainings and consultants for any industry at megandevine.co. The Community for Grievers, you can find on all of the social media platforms at Refuge in Grief and refugeingrief.com is the website. You know, a theme we keep coming back to on Essential Voices is our common humanity and how easy it is to forget someone's humanity in situations as mundane as helping you find the right aisle for the peanut butter or as dire as calling an ambulance for a heart attack. Nobody signs up for for the grief and the trauma that EMS workers have experienced these past few years. And our communities need to recognize that as we work together towards long-term solutions, I'm so grateful for Anthony's generosity in sharing his story and for Megan Devine for helping us process and contextualize. 
Join us next week when we'll begin a two-part series about the global supply chain and first speak with essential workers, longshoremen Nicole Salima and truck driver Armando Pacheco. The following week, we'll have a roundtable conversation with Mayor Robert Garcia and journalist Christopher Mims. We'll be back next week. Essential Voices with Wilmer Valderrama is produced by me, M.R. Raquel, Allison Shano, and Kevin Rutkowski, with production support from associate producer Lillian Holman, executive producers Wilmer Valderrama, Adam Reynolds, Leo Clem, and Aaron Hilliard. This episode was edited by M.R. Raquel, Sean Tracy, and Justin Cho, and features original music by Will Rosati. This is a Clamor and WV Entertainment production in partnership with iHeartRadio's My Cultura Podcast Network. For more podcasts from iHeart, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. When are you an American Express member? When you travel with the American Express Platinum Card and have access to Centurion Lounges at over 40 locations worldwide, you're a member. When your American Express Platinum Card gets you seated at exclusive tables at renowned restaurants through Global Dining Access by Resi, you're a member. When you arrive at live events through dedicated American Express card member entrances at select venues, yeah, you're a member. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Hi, I'm Antonia Blythe, and this is 20 Questions on Deadline. Joining me today is Alison Bree. Welcome, Allison. We got second place in my seventh grade lip sync contest for one of the songs on that album. The one that was like, you've already won me over. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. It's a very all slow. The, all the options. In spite of me. Like, what did we do? It's so slow. <laughs> Don't forget to listen to 20 Questions on Deadline. Thank you again, Allison. Thank you. Hi, I'm John O'Brien, host of Money and Wealth on the Black Effect Podcast Network. I'm an entrepreneur and a businessman. Now, every Thursday, my newest venture is educating you on how to win financially. Even better, I'm going to teach it in a way that, well, you can understand. I'm going to meet you where you are and take you where you need to be. We all might have different starting points and end goals, but as long as we have the desire to acquire financial freedom, it can be done. Listen to Money and Wealth with John Hope Bryant every Thursday on the Black Effect Podcast Network iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.